Welcome, listeners. This is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me on LawrenceHits.com in Lawrence, Kansas. That's where I am anyway. My guests can be pretty much anywhere, anywhere that Google Hangouts technology and everybody's equipment cooperates for. I guess that's the parameter. Been trying to get somebody who's in Great Britain and his technology isn't conducive to this, but someday. So my country expansion has included only two so far. That would be Wolfgang Karstens, who is near Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And that would include... Um, Gosh, Mark Statman, who does this beautiful work, now based in Mexico and in the Oaxaca area, who um, Bob does a lot of translation and his own work, very beautiful stuff. And all these wonderful people who are all across the USA, which I love. And as I say that, one of the people I think about right now, who's who's a link to some of those people, is the wonderful Richard Robert Hansen, Poems for All, if somehow you have not yet experienced Poems for All, look online, poems hyphen for hyphen all, watch the video about how he makes them, look at this outstanding list of poets who he has published. If you're a poet and would love to have a little teeny book with one or two of your poems that gets scattered like seeds, um, Poems for All is the place to go. It's it's wonderful. And again, a lot of my guests have been published in those little teeny micro poetry books. I have a special set of them that always sits in front of me. I actually gave away one of my favorites, which was the David Bowie tribute to a poet, Mercedes Lucero, who was in the room with me and looking at them. She's like, oh, could I, would you? And I'm like, uh, no. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, sharing poetry and sharing the stories behind poetry, those are both things that I think are really great to do. And today, this is a long-awaited recording opportunity. I didn't go back to check how long ago we started the conversation of when we could actually record. And I'm very happy to, in the moment, be ready to talk with Bob Wilecki. Welcome, Bob. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I realize as I just tried to say your name, I didn't ask you how to say your name. So please say it and let's get it right. <laughs> it's pretty close, but it's actually uh, Wallachy. Wallachy. Okay. See, I knew yeah. there were there were lots of possibilities there. And it occurred to me that I had not asked. I, I tried to ask it the, before we get on air. Bob well, I appreciate Wallachy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's nice to say it right. And it's so funny because I've had other, I, in fact, I won't say who, but I had a poet publisher on the air who was talking about a book that he had just put out and he made a reference to the poet's name and I was listening. And finally I said, um, are you talking about, and then I said the person's name saying the last name correctly. And he's like, what? I didn't know. How come nobody told me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I also I also curate a series, and one thing I learned, I'm not uptight about my name, but one thing that I learned is how sensitive poets are about their name being pronounced correctly. And I understand, uh-huh. but it's dumb. I've, I make it a point of asking people in person so that I can phonetically get it right. <laughs> very good, very good. That's a good so, thing to remember, and I apologize for yeah. asking you in, in the beginning. No. So tell us a little bit about you, where you are, and what kinds of things you're up to in general. 
Well, then we'll I get said, expansive um, about it. So I'm not, this isn't a limiting thing. This is just like, so people haven't heard you yet. Just, just a little background. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, um, as I said, I um, curated series. This is actually my last year. I'm taking a break after five years of uh, doing a, a reading series. It's a lot of work um, for one person. And my my mission and my goal with my series, the, the, the name of the series is called Versify, and it's sort of a play on the word diversity. And what I wanted to do is one thing I noticed in Pittsburgh is such a vibrant literary community, but there are so many different uh, groups that are going off on their own and doing great things. And I thought, hmm, wouldn't it be great to have a reading series where I bring all these individual groups together under one series and mix people, put people together that may not have read before, but read in their individual either college community um, you know, groups or, you know, there are other reading groups and see what happens. And it's sort of like flying without a net. And sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does. But I love that tension. I love bringing people together that may not have recognized or heard each other. But then sometimes something really special happens and there's like this synergy that, that is created and the reading becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And that is sort of like what I wanted to do. And the, one, of the, one of the readings that I remember the most is the, I had these three people together and um, they hadn't read before. And at, after the reading, they were exchanging numbers and they were, you know, friendships were created. I'm like, this is what it's all about. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's, com it's community building and it's awareness of all these voices. And some of them are marginalized. Some of them don't get the opportunity to read a lot. And, you know, I tr really try hard to seek those people out and bring them together. But um, other than that, um, I have uh, two chapbooks published. I'm working on a full-length collection right now. Um, and um, I'm just kind of moving on with this just, incredible journey that is poetry and just discovering so much about myself and the world around me. And um, it, it, it happened kind of, it didn't happen um, purposely. It happened very organically. I started writing, always liked to write. And um, I just felt that my means of creative expression weren't being fulfilled in other ways. I started out as a painter and, a, and an artist and but I felt that words were where I was drawn to. And, uh, you know, um, I like the short form of the poem. And maybe it's because I have a short attention span, but um, I liked being really succinct and really telling a story in a poem, um, you know, and to move people was something that was very important to me as well. And to tell these life stories. Um, also, I am a, I'm a plumber by trade. So I started writing, and recently I started writing a lot of poems about the work experience and the blue-collar um, life. And okay. I think these are some of the stories that aren't being told that I don't see in poetry as much. Um, Phil, Levine comes, uh, Phil Levine comes to mind, but, you know, and other poets, but, you know, I don't. Th these are some stories that are, I just think, need to be told in poetry and the working class life. A lot of us live and work um, 40 hours a week. And, you know, th these are some of the stories that, that we all have that, that I think don't get 
um, don't get talked about enough. Mm-hmm. And so as you said, this is sort of yeah. A book that always comes to my mind is Wolfgang Karstens has a little book called Rented Mule, which describes that working experience as well. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, a poet, host of poetry shows, and plumber. I think that's a very interesting combination. <laughs> that's what I. That's what people. That's what I'm. I've been told. Um, uh-huh. But and I, I. I. One of the most gratifying things in a reading is when I do a reading and I look in, in out in the audience as I'm reading poems sometimes and I'll see people nodding or after a reading they'll come up to me and not everybody but you know if I connect with like one person in the audience I feel like I've really done what I set out to do because not everyone's going to connect with your poetry but if one person really sees something uh, you know an experience uh, you know uh, that they can identify with in a poem that you read. I mean, wow, that's what a connection you make right there. And, um, you know, when people come up to me and they say, well, you know, my grandfather was a pipe player or, or this or that, you know, and, or one of the last readings I did, there was a, a husband of a writer and he'd come up to me and he was a heavy equipment operator. And he says, I really like your poems. He says, this is, this is how it is in, on the job sites in the field. And he's like, you really illustrated it um, so, so well and so realistically. And, you know, I thought that was really interesting because a man's man, someone like that, isn't someone that would go to a poetry reading, um, you know, and find something that, that they were interested in. And this is sort of another thing that I'm working with in my series and the poetry that I'm writing is that poetry can be about for everyone. It's not for just for the academics. It's not for, you know, um, intellectual exercise. It's for the every person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. And I, and I love your emphasis on connecting and connecting with people and including people who wouldn't necessarily be likely uh, to, to be interested in poetry or to be touched by poetry. You know, and it's funny for me because my, my getting to the point of doing shows with writers and other artists came because I was looking online for some content related to some things that I work with in my social work practice, some things about depression and anxiety and, and, and different kind of conversations and different different ways of looking at that and helping people with that. And I don't even remember sort of how I went down the, the particular track that got me to the poetry, a particular poem by Shane Coison, who's a Canadian spoken word poet. Um, and, and I'm watching this video of this poem um, called To This Day Project. And then there's another one, Instructions for Life, um, that it was like, this is totally the kind of conversations that come up in the work that I do, where we're talking about what's going on for people and what what needs to be better for them to really feel like life is worth living. And so I'm thinking, well, if this poet that I found from some other place is saying this stuff, 
I bet there are people around here and I just have not really been looking at the art scene around here and, and ended up, you know, finding this person and that person and, and, and having never been to a poetry event, um, got a couple people to help me host a, a night of, of slam competition with readings in between the rounds and this really, really diverse set of poets with um, where I am in Lawrence, Kansas, it, there's a major university. So there were some people that, you know, are very much in the academic tradition. And then there are, you know, people that are basically young street poets who are there and, and just all these different styles. It's like, this is the coolest yeah. thing. And, and what was great was like your experience, you know, people leaving and in between the sets, going up to each other and embracing and, and, you know, exchanging and seeing, exchanging contact information and, and support, you know, somebody who stumbled at the mic gets, gets urged on by somebody who's more experienced with performing, you know, and, and yeah. then that was all, that was over three years ago. And so I, you know, I'm, I can kind of see in, in my connections with those people and, and their connections with each other. Some, you know, these friendships that, that really were sp- were sparked by that that experience together and how that's sort of how this artistic stuff goes is there's this reach between the people who are the creatives and also between them and people in the audience, whether those audience members are people who create some kind of art or not. But that, that head nod of this person at the mic is saying stuff that that shows that they get what my life is like too. That is so right. powerful. So so I love. Oh, it is. Stuff. Yeah, it's very and, cool. And I, I think I think um, a lot of us writers and poets that go to readings, we all recognize how um, what a brave act it is to get up in front of people and a lot of people you don't know and just like bare your soul. Um, you yeah. know, to, to, to you know, express a cliche, but you know, it, it is. <sighs> we know how much that takes um, out of you. And I know readings take a lot out of me because I pour a lot of emotion into it. So to have that connection really is um, feeds you and encourages you. And I always say to poets, this is the, the most important thing that a writer, I don't care if he's an ex- he or she's an experienced writer or a beginning writer is encouragement mm-hmm. because um, writing is such a solitary act that oftentimes um, we don't get to know or, you know, discover, you know, realize if, if what we're doing, if we're on the right track, if we're doing good work. And that's why I think readings are important. And that's why I also think workshopping is important. I just want to touch base with you, touch on one thing that you had said before about writing as a healing um, art. When I started writing, I started going to a lot of free workshops. There's a lot of free workshops in Pittsburgh around here where people can go and they can do free writes. And there's usually like a moderator or curator that, that sets everything up and does prompts. And then people write from that. And there's been a lot of um, workshops that I've gone to where there was a lot of weighty and heavy um, material that people just let loose in these workshops and a lot of tears and a lot of grief, but also a lot of healing. And I recognized that, you know, this was so, this act was so important for these people to really move on with their grief. And, you know, I, I recognized the power of the written word and how much poems 
poetry uh, can do to save you and writing can yeah. save you and save these people. And um, also just you know, taking part in, in all these workshops, I saw the compassion with, 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 you know, the, the group, um, uh, you know, workshop and, and how supportive everyone was. And that's sort of like, how it is in this community. We're all supportive. We all recognize that we're coming from different schools of poetry and thought, but we're all supportive of each other because we recognize that, you know, unfortunately, um, poetry is still a very underground art. Um, and one important question that I, that I asked a lot of writers and poets is, what are we doing to grow our art? What are we doing to move beyond our own insulary circle? Because we're reading, in a lot of cases, we're reading to each other. We're reading to our friends who are poets or our friends who are writers. And what I always love is when I look out in the audience and I see a lot of people that I don't, I don't know before, that I've never met before. And um, one reading I did, it was a book launch. I invited a lot of relatives and, and people that have never been to a poetry reading. And I'm sure they're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be excruciating or I'm not going to be able to understand it or this is really going to be boring. But mm -hmm. in, in fact, the exact opposite thing happened. And a lot of these people come up to me and they says, wow, this is really great. I didn't realize that a poetry could be funny or a poetry could be, you know, things about, you know, you could be you know, reading poems about, about subjects and things that I care about and, and all the, you know, what's going on now. And, and I think it's all those things. It's, yeah. it's, and there's a misconception about what poetry is to, I think, the mainstream community. And that's why I think it is sort of like, you know, not really promoted as much um, as the other arts. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting. I don't, I don't know why this particular topic comes to my mind, but also thinking about how sometimes in poetry, you, you not only touch people's hearts and their experiences and sometimes get them laughing, but sometimes, even sneak up on them with, with things that they might then think about a little bit differently. And, and what's on my mind is, is actually climate change via a poem by a Wichita, Kansas-based poet, Roy, Beckham, Roy Beckemeyer, which is about armadillos uh, on the side of the highway. And the poem, okay, so so true true story for me, I grew up in the Texas panhandle. That's that's more southernish area is where I think of that armadillos would be, you know? And so right. when I talked to Roy about where was he driving, where he saw all these dead armadillos that were being hit by cars on the highway, and sure enough, it was in Kansas and it was farther north and that that's where armadillos are migrating because it's getting warmer farther north you know and it's like oh, holy okay. cow you know so so you hear this poem and then and then you got to think about wow that's not supposed to happen and so you know suddenly not only are you kind of smiling about some of the poems you've heard but you're thinking about this climate change thing this this is a real thing. I don't care what somebody says. This is, this is an example, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's sort of been a sea change in recent years because of um, what's been happening with our country yeah. and the political climate of things. And a lot of readings in, in my series included um, 
we've been bringing nonprofits in to speak about causes like Planned Parenthood, like climate change, like um, uh, um, just some of these, uh, you know, organizations and programs that are being threatened by the current administration. And we recognize as poets, as writers, we're the mouthpiece of our generation. Um, whether or not, and, and one thing that I realized, I just started writing about some of the things that are affecting us, but I've never been a political or environmental or activist writer, but I also recognize that this is our duty. Um, you know, we're writing poems, we're writing stories, and we're publishing them. It's also our duty to speak out against what's happening, and it's 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 really been a a, a monumental experience and an electric experience um, with a lot of these readings. And people have been rising up, and people, uh, you know, are not you know, not content to just take what's being given to them and they're, you know, they care. They love our yeah. country. We love our country and we're, you know, we want to do something about it. So it's, yeah, yeah it's been very, and that's another level of um, disgratification, knowing that you can write a poem, a piece of writing can be useful as opposed mm -hmm. to just a piece of art or um, an experience. But when a poetry, when a poem can be useful, um, is when it moves into, I think, another, you know, um, another dimension. Yeah, and and I will say, you know, it's it's poetry and it's it's other kinds of arts, um, including other kinds of word arts. And I think we've heard a lot in recent months controversies related to um, comedians and and statements that they've made. You know, and it's an interesting thing to think about. And, and for me, I go several different directions. One is yesterday in the Sunday New York Times, there was an article um, with Fran Lebowitz and Bill Maher. And I was reading Bill Maher's comments and thinking, well, I mean, he's an artist and he has the right to put out whatever he wants to put out. But the truth is, I don't agree with him on a lot of things. And this is really right. interesting because there was a time when I thought of him as a voice that I had more in common with. And so that was this this kind of interesting thing. Like, I want to love everything you're saying, but I don't. <laughs> right. And that's okay, too. You know, it still makes mm -hmm. you think, you know. And, and similarly, you know, when, I, when I'm at poetry readings of different sets of poets, you know, I, I've said this before. There are some poets who personally... I have so much admiration for, um, but I don't really love their work. And that's a real personal thing. Like I think, and, and I think it's, I'm saying it out loud, not as a criticism of every of anybody, but just that, you know, we, we get affected in different ways by different things and that's real and that's fine. And it's great to keep exposing ourselves to lots of variation, you know, and, right. and we, we don't, I don't think it would be a good thing if I loved everything equally, every piece of art, every, you know, every person. I think discernment is a good thing too. <laughs> but it's it's an oh, interesting absolutely. Right. Yeah, you know. And like when you're talking about people, you know, going to readings and doing readings and going to workshops, you know, that's that's one of those things that the the very longtime poets who who I talk to, you know, will really urge people to do is 
like expose yourself to lots of different stuff. You know, don't just go to what's easy for you or comfortable for you or where you've always been. Don't only share your work with people who know you, you know, like you're saying, it's, yeah. it's wonderful to have new people in the audience and to be in the audience for people who you haven't heard before. Yeah. There was a, I went through a reading by put, I think, I think it was Michael Dickman and he said something that was very uh, interesting and we were, he was, there was a discussion going on about aesthetic and voice, the voice of the poet and being true to your voice. And he says, I'm very distrustful of voice. And I thought that was very interesting because we're, as writers, it's ingrained in us that we need to be true to ourselves. We need to write from our own experience. We need to be true to our voice. But I think in another sense, when we start doing that, when we, you know, are just so, you know, proudly, bullheadedly writing to our quote unquote voice, we sort of lose a little bit of spontaneity and we lose the spirit of discovery to an extent. And as a result of, of doing some of these exercises, I became a better writer and a better poet. And I think that's, you know, when you expose yourself to these other forms you don't like, and you have to ask yourself, why don't I like that? What about this don't I like? And then you can sort of discover something new about yourself and, um, you know, then you, you, you know, your writing is, you know, as a result becomes more fresh and you, you become more interested in trying different things and, you know, experimenting. And um, I think that, that keeps the create the creative juices in the writing alive. I really do. Yeah. It's interesting, interesting that you say that. And it makes me remember, although I can't remember the poet, who, who um, an article that I read when he was saying that, you know, people, people, you know, ask about how to find their voice. And basically what I say is voice comes from reading other people's work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's well, not, it's not stagnant. It's not just inherent in you. It's, it's evolutionary in that sense. Yeah. Well, you know, um, and I don't know who said this either, but um, this was this is sort of an older poet that made made this comment. I'm paraphrasing, but basically the gist of it was: every poem ever written is in conversation with every poem. You know, you can't write. You know, you, you can't. You're not an island. But every poem that you that you read and you write there's an unconscious connection and an unconscious influence. Uh, something happened with one of my favorite poems that I, that, that I ever wrote, um, where after I wrote it, I said, there's something familiar about one of these lines. And I realized that while I didn't plagiarize a line, that was very similar to a line that I had read from another poet. And I actually went up to that poet who was a local poet at a reading. And I said to her, I said, I showed her the poem. I said, um, I'm going to, you know, I'd be willing to change the sign or I can leave it in there and then, you know, write a dedication to you, you know, um, in the poem. And she said that was, that was okay. But the point of that was there's an unconscious influence going on in our, in our poetry. But I think every poem, that's true. Every poem is in conversation with another poem, you know, whether you've read that poem or not, you know, there's going to be, um, you know, just like a piece of music. Um, you can hear a piece of music that sounds similar to something else. And it's, it's a good chance that those two composers or those two artists never heard each other. But 
you know, um, I don't know what it is, but there is there is a there is a sort of uh, you know universal cosmic thing going on where we're all connected. Maybe I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, and it's important. I mean, it, it, the and part of the message there is people need to keep reading and to keep reading people from long ago and people who are contemporaries and that mix and and you know ask other people who they're reading and and check those out and if those you know if there are people come into your whatever community you're in whether it's vacationing or whether it's where you live you know try, seek that out and and I don't remember who pointed out to me that you all in Pittsburgh have this lovely website Litzburg that oh yeah creates awareness of different literary events. You know, it's so funny because I have a friend who lives in Philadelphia and she and her wife were, you know, are doing something in Pittsburgh and she's like, what do I do in Pittsburgh? And I'm like, well, one thing you do is you look at the Litzburg site and you you find out what's Mm -hmm. going on while you're there. (laughs) Yeah. They've really, um, they really expanded their site and they really care about, um, so many different facets of the literary community at large. There's author profiles on there. You can uh, set yourself up with an author profile with your picture and links to your work and biography and the whole thing. And they have event pages. And they're, uh, I don't know what day, but up, uh, in the upcoming months, they're going to do a, a literary mixer with bringing people together. And um, it's it's so important in this scene to like as I said before with what I'm doing with my series and, and what Litzberg is trying to do as well is keeping this community alive and together and um not, not fragmented and um you know people like Lit- the, the people that are involved in Litzberg are just doing a great job of that. Yeah. And that's that's a hard one. Bringing people together is a wonderful goal and not easy tasks to keep accomplishing on an ongoing basis. <laughs> No, I, I've learned I've learned a lot of things in in, in uh, you know in my series over the years, and the, the, one of the most challenging uh, things that I've learned is with with such a vibrant community and with so many other events going on, um, what happens sometimes is there'll be a night where there'll be three poetry readings in one night at different locations, and you know, wow, who who you know it, it's. Um, it's unfortunate because sometimes, um, you know, attendance is affected, but, um, you know, it's a good problem to have because, um, you know, we are, so there is so much going on. Um, but you know, the, you know, resources like Litzberg, that's why resources like Litzberg are so important because they let everyone know what's going on. So we can sort of design our series and our calendars around everyone else so that, you know, we're offering different things to different people on different nights. Yeah, that's great. Before we are halfway through the show and take a break, I want our listeners and me to be able to hear some of your poetry. Wonderful. In community, bringing people together, you know, lots of suggestions for writers. So I'm wondering if you're ready to share some of your work with us. Sure. I'm going to read. Um, I had talking before about uh, the blue collar experience and some of these um, plumbing and work poems. I'm going to, I'm going to read one of these poems from my chapbook, which is the title of the chapbook is the almost sound of snow falling. 
And this this uh, poem is called Black Angel. Because I refuse to listen, because the words college and textbook fell off my body like indifferent rain, I became a raven. Or more accurately, one of those men. Head down, a shiny black raincoat, hands made of mud, digging out some broken drain. Instead of wings, ravens like this get storm water. They get six hours of shit-filled pipe overflowing, followed by, you get the picture. I wasn't on the job when the sprinkler fitter stepped wrong, missed the bar on his scissor lift, fell 50 foot down, because he didn't know about the no-wing policy at job sites, because they issued us free lunch and Budweiser instead of harness, canvas straps for our working-class lives. We sat on our hands at the safety meetings, my invisible wings, the only things moving. I could leave now, but we ravens were short-range flyers. We can spot a quarter on a sidewalk as if it were a drop of blood 50 foot up. Because we need the dead as much as the ground does to fill our hunger, paychecks folded into our dirty hands every Monday like a drug. So we wouldn't spend everything. So we would always come back. General said, there's a certain type of man wants to fit pipe, set shitters, tear down walls as if they were a memory, remove asbestos without a mask. WebMD says it lies inside the body as in dormant, as in 20 to 30 years, as in if I was holding a bullet in mesothelioma in the palm of each hand, would it matter which opened first? I saw the black angel of death walk outside a condemned building, hole in his respirator, cigarette hanging from his mouth. He was just going outside for some fresh air for a moment. Beautiful day, he said. Wow. The art of poetry, huh? And the art of plumbing yeah. converging around life and death. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obvious real life, real issues, real stories, getting us thinking about things that we don't think about. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm taken aback by that, that, I don't know, the beauty of the poem that's that is also a story of the hard work of poetry excuse me of plumbing which i wouldn't necessarily think of as poetic which is my bad but that that was no very moving the the hardest the hardest thing for me to try to accomplish was to bring these gritty work experience experiences and find the music um and find the poetry in them and one of my favorite poets, Sharon Old, says something that's sort of like one of my mantras. And, and she said she wanted to create beauty, but not too beautiful. You know, there, she wanted to have some ugliness of life in it. And that's sort of really what I've found drawn to the most. And writing from these experiences, but also finding the, the tragedy 
and, and the noble efforts of people that I've worked with and that I've seen and some of these amazing individuals that have, um, I was talking to someone the other day that hey, one of the smartest guys I've ever met had like a sixth grade education. Mm-hmm. He couldn't, he could barely read or write, but he could open up a set of blueprints and he could lay out complicated um, you know, wall lines and everything would be accurate every time. And, he, you know, he could figure out building elevations in his head. And, and it was just a marvel to watch this person, you know, this person designing and building a commercial building in his head, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked on a lot of commercial projects and um, not to name drop, but I've, I've worked in um, uh, Build, helping to build uh, targets and plumbing, uh, doing the plumbing in, in a lot of targets. And it's really amazing to walk inside a building and they look around and, I, you know, sometimes I'll walk inside of a target and I'll say, these people have no idea the blood, sweat, and tears and the engineering marvels that goes that go into building a building like this. You're going into buying, you know, a pack of socks or something, but you don't realize behind those walls, the you know the the math and and the and the effort and the everything that goes into calculating everything and and uh-huh. you know I, I stood on a a hill of dirt and then in the very end I walked into it when it was a target so it was like it it started from nothing and now it's a huge store I mean it's really kind of blows your mind if you've ever you know is anyone that's ever done this kind of work um it's 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 quite something. Yeah, and it's and it's an interesting thing for us to think about that every building of whatever vintage that we go into was crafted by a whole bunch of people who worked really hard and had to do things really well for that building to function. And and so and then I then I moved to like some some simplicity things that we don't. You know, I I live in a home. We're so lucky that we live in this home in Lawrence, Kansas that was built in 1885 and it's this lovely home and we researched it. But there was something I didn't know about a detail of the home and and after we'd lived here only about a year, we let it be on a homes tour and somebody who came in said, do you know what that thing is on your wall? And I said, actually, no, I've never known what it is. It's this uh, metal circle that that has a arrow kind of thing, almost like a, how a kid's game would have a spinner thing and that tells you what square to move to. This doesn't just spin, but it has this arrow thing. And he said, okay, look at the floor directly below that, that metal on your wall. And I look and he says, see where there are those two holes in the floor that are filled? Yeah, he said, that, mechanism that metal piece which is about I'm gonna say about four inches across that was the thermostat for your house and there were ropes that went down from that through the floor to the coal furnace in your basement wow that opened the damper more or less to yeah, yeah. control the heat it's like how cool is that <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and so the target building you're talking about functions very differently than that aspect of it. Oh, yeah. But the same point is there is that people do things and you know, it takes people to make these buildings whatever, you know, whatever year, whenever they were made. And, and it's the goodness and hard work of those people that makes those, those buildings accommodating for us. Anyway, cool stuff. We're going to take a yeah. little break and then we'll be back. And I definitely would love to have you share more of your own poetry in addition to conversation when we come back. We'll hear from a couple of the businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And I get to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces this show, because that's how people get to hear us. And that's a, an important part. Uh, we'll be right back with more Talk With Me and today's guest, Bob Wallachie. Listeners, welcome back. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on Talk With Me. And my guest is Bob Wallachie who is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which I made, should have made sure I mentioned that it was Pennsylvania because some people around here go, oh, Pittsburgh, Kansas. Like, no, 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 that's not where he is. <laughs> and I does have Pittsburgh have an H? Yeah. It I'm sorry. does not. I, the, the, that's, I, I just get mixed up, yeah. I have to tell okay. you, because of your talking about plumbing, just one little thing, if you ever do make it to Kansas, there is this beautiful central Kansas small community named Lucas, Kansas. It's just a little bit off the interstate, off of I-70, a little bit north of I-70. Lucas, Kansas is the home to several things, including the Grassroots Art Center, amazing art. It has this interesting house in the in the city, which I'm sure is why the Grassroots Art Museum is there, where this man named S.B. Dinsmore created these really intense concrete sculptures um, and his place is called the Garden of Eden, which that is one of the scenes that you see and there's other political kinds of art. And here's why I want to tell you about Lucas, Kansas. Lucas, Kansas in the little downtown, which is probably about two short blocks, maybe it's three, in addition to the Grassroots Art Center and the meat market where they are known for their homemade bologna, there is a public bathroom, which is not just a public bathroom, but it's this beautiful building that has the walls covered in mosaics and different kinds of art pieces stuck in here and there. In, in the, uh, they, they have just, it's a small town, so they just have basically two big stalls um, and different art on each half of that inside of the building. And on the outside of the building, they have a sculpture and a sidewalk that's kind of curvy. And when you look at it, what you realize is that the sidewalk that you enter to go into this public restroom is very much like a giant toilet paper roll that has slightly unraveled and that's the trail that you're following and so what? it's marvelous <laughs> yes it's one of those hit you know historic parts of of kansas and the midwest is this fabulous restroom <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> oh my god but really cool yeah it's very cool <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so maybe someday you, you too will get to see Lucas, yeah. Kansas. <laughs> I don't know about you, Kansas people. 
<laughs> no. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, I was, my, my husband said, well, so what's on the women's side? And I said, well, one, I'm going to look at both sides. There's nobody in here. What difference does it make? You know, it's like, but wait, the coolest stuff is on the designated as men's side. I don't like that. <laughs> I think everyone's, I think everyone's curious about each other's bathrooms. And I've, I've been to, you know, public events and, and, you know, with my wife and, and she said, you know, what does the men's room look like? You know, I want to know what the women's room looks like. <laughs> You know, because I'm always thinking that, like, you know, the women's room is better because, you know, it's it's got to be nicer and it's, you know, the, there's got to be art on the walls and, you know, that type of stuff. But <laughs> Lawrence, Kansas, where I live, has an historic building that's now a restaurant called Merchants. It was a bank building. And in the restrooms, which are, were former bank vaults, there is also in this building a gunshot hole from Bonnie and Clyde. So another strange wow. bathroom story from Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you and your poetry, I want to ask this going way back to the first part of the show. You said that you yep. were a visual artist before you were a word artist. And tell us a little bit about that transition. Um, I'm sorry, you said, um, tell us about and and then you said that what but what you realized is that it was poetry that really that is yeah. your art. Um well in the beginning when I started to realize that I you know had you know a need to have a creative outlet, the first thing I picked up was a pencil and I was drawing what I saw and um like the, the tactile feel of that. And I went to art school for like a year and a half and then it was just I just felt that this wasn't doing it for me, that, that what I, what was inside of me just wasn't, I wasn't able to reconcile or, or, or put on paper what was in my mind or what I was drawing. And I felt that there, there had to be something else. Sort of, sort of, I always liked doing it, but I sort of lost interest in it. And then um, I always sort of liked to just scribble and write and a line or two would come to me um growing up and i'd write it down and you know i had these like these dog ear notebooks with just this like nonsensical writing and my english teacher in what happened was my english teacher in high school uh started to introduce us um to 20th century literature and i wasn't interested as a poet i shouldn't say this but i wasn't interested in the classics at all i found that, that they didn't they weren't speaking to me um, they were brilliant, but they really weren't speaking to me, and I, I had no connection with them. But when she introduced, um, like, T.S. Eliot and Kafka and Emily Dickinson and, like, Walt Whitman, I'm, uh, and it just blew my mind open, and I, and I just re had this this revelation that, that you know, that these emotional feelings and, it, you know, could be expressed in writing and it sort of gave me permission to like open up in my writing and it just the writings just started pouring out and pouring out um then a friend of mine who is a who is a uh professor gave me a book i had showed her some of my poetry when i thought it was like maybe turning into something and she said you need to read this book and it was sharon old's first first book satan says and that was the book that really kind of moved me in in, into taking the writing a, more seriously and really committing to that. Um, I have a lot of friends that, that are 
extremely talented. They're artists and they're writers, and they do so many different things, photography and, and poetry. And, and I could do that, but then I sort of, you know, decided to myself, I'm just going to try this thing, poetry, and I'm just going to do the best that I can with it and focus all my effort and intelligence and creative energies into this form and try to be the best that I can, uh, you know, be at it. And that's sort of like how things have progressed to this, to this point. Um, I haven't gone to a formal college. I've taken some courses, um, but I've attended a lot of workshops and I'm in, a, I'm, in, I'm in several peer workshops now where we criticize or critique our work. We read it aloud to each other and we go around the room and then we, um, we, you know, each person has an opinion about what's working, what isn't working. And that has helped me tremendously uh, to sort of remove my ego from what, from what I'm doing and to, and to sort of kill your darlings if something, you know, we as writers fall in love with a lot of things that we do. And sometimes we're a little too close to them. <laughs> and what happens is when when you're editing, um, you have to put that aside and you have to look at it as if, as if it's not you that's reading it and saying, okay, what is working, what isn't? And if I wasn't me and I was reading this, would I get what you're saying, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I told someone this the other day at, at, at a workshop. I said, I said, the one thing that I ask myself after I write every poem is, did I say what I wanted to say? Did I achieve what I wanted to set out? Or what am I saying in this poem? What is this poem trying to say? And then if the answer is, I don't really know, then maybe the poem needs a little more work, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, that's sort of my process um, in part. Um, when I write, I write, I tend to write pretty quickly. And then I go back and then I take my time. Another thing I do is I read the poem aloud after I've written it. And then I find things that don't work that, that are like flat notes or just, you know, turns of phrase that don't sound right or just have or are off to me. And then I sort of go back and then I know where to make some line breaks. And then, um, you know, I just go back and forth that way. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll stop and I'll say there's nothing, you know. I, I, I've come to the realization that as many poems as we all write as poets, there's going to be some po some poems that aren't the greatest poems that have ever been written. And there's going to be some really good poems that we write. And just to be okay with that, because mm -hmm. the, the creative process of writing is more important than hitting a home run every time, you know, the ball's thrown to you. Um, mm -hmm. And I've, I've sort of, as I've grown, and I sort of recognize that myself that, you know, and there, there's been poems that I've taken like some lines and stanzas out of this one poem and put it in another poem and made that poem a better poem. So it's, you know, when I hear, oh, I'm in awe of some of my heroes, my poetry heroes, and then I listen to their creative process, it makes me feel better about myself because I realize that they don't just you know, dash off a masterpiece in five minutes that, you know, some poems they work on for years. Mm -hmm. And I find that mm -hmm. amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I want to ask. No, it's all right. I, I, yeah. Is interesting to me about process, which goes back again to something you said that, you know, right now you're, you're, you're reminding people that not, not every work is a, that you create is going to be a masterpiece and and we still need you to keep writing that's that's what you need to do is people who want to write need to write and need to recognize that 
their failures also are what get them to their successes, you know. But I want to ask you this question related to that transition that you made from drawing to realizing that poetry is really your art. And mm-hmm. and my question is is this very simple one. What what do you like to write with? Do you because you started with drawing, I'm wondering, do you do some of your work writing by hand on paper or is it all on technology? Um it, interesting when I tell people this they're kind of puzzled because the majority of friends that I have that are poets write in longhand and write in notebooks. And I'm the exact opposite. I need to be at a computer. I can write in longhand, but what I love about writing on a computer is um, I edit as I go, which is another thing that a lot of people don't do. But when I, when I write a poem on screen, I can see a lot more. I can see the line breaks a lot better mm-hmm. and I can, you know, it, it helps my creative process. It's sort of a back and forth where I'm editing then I'm creating, then I'm editing, then I'm creating mm-hmm. and sort of, so, and also I'm a very, very messy writer, like hand, longhand. <laughs> so when I write, it's like, it looks like a, you know, a, a three-year-old, you know, that is half asleep is trying to do it. So when I'm writing, when I'm doing it on the screen, it's, you know, obviously it's, it's near, it's crisper. And also I can spell check and all that other type of stuff, you know, but it's, it, it, it just, it helps my creative process. And I can see, I can see the poem form a lot better and easier on, you know, on screen. And I even write poems on my phone, which is, which I have to laugh because, uh, I've been to a couple of readings where there were a lot of younger poets that were doing their, that were reading and all of the younger poets, this one recent reading I went to had iPads, had like notebooks, you know, they, the electronic notebooks and they had iPads or their phones and they were reading completely off these electronic devices. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them had made comments like I'm going to be like this annoying millennial now and read from my electronic device. And I had a laugh, but, you know, it's, I had a flub at one reading that I did recently when I'm a strictly a paper person. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have to have that paper, um, mm-hmm. you know, despite writing on the, on the computer. But I walked up to the podium and I had all my poems in, in the order that I was going to read. And of course I dropped them and then papers went everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I, I kind of, I played it off and laughed and everyone laughed and, but then I'm up there trying to try and organize things and it was just, yeah. it was kind of a mess, but <laughs> I think everyone, everyone has their own, you know, has, has their own preference. Yeah. I, I, and I get that about the writing part, but, but I'm a huge advocate for people reading from paper as opposed when they're at the mic is what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. paper as opposed to from the small screen of a phone and the reason it and I've heard several people comment on this and and it's my experience as an audience member is reading from a po- from a small screen of a phone means that poet is really staring at this small device and not really engaged with the audience and people who are reading from a copy of their book, which is tagged with the, you know, which pages they want to read from or from pieces of paper that they're shuffling. They also have a tendency to, to be able to look some at the audience as well as at those pages. 
and it's a different mm-hmm. kind of audience experience, you know? So it's like, again, for me, write on whatever you need to write on. That's, that's should be whatever works best for you. But when you're in front of an audience, do what you need to, to be able to engage with the audience visually. You know, that's not saying that every poem has to be one you've already memorized. I'm not saying that. But, but yeah. again, if, if you're reading from something with bigger fonts than what your phone can have, <laughs> then, yeah. then you can look up some. <laughs> right. that, that, is, that is so important. I, I went to, I recently went to a, um, a couple of years ago, actually, to the Dodge Poetry Festival, which is a big um, national oh, yeah. poetry festival. And yeah, and there was a poet um and I'm not going to, I, I don't remember his name exactly, so I won't say, but he was so amazing because his entire set, it was like 20 minutes of, of reading poetry, it was completely memorized. And it wasn't spoken word poetry. It was like really dense stuff. And I'm thinking, this guy is incredible. How, how does this guy remember all this? And, you know, he obviously had a, you know, um, ability to do, ability to do that, but yeah. his eyes and connect his his level of connection with the audience was really intense, and it uh-huh. really made for for a you know a different level of experience in enjoying that reading because he was yeah. you know it was just um you know that much more amped up, and I also. I think it was Sam Hazel who said this, uh, who is actually a Pittsburgh poet as well, um, had said that every poet should have at least one of their poems memorized. And I'm terrible with memorization, but my, when my first book came out, um, I had read those poems, some of those poems so many times that I realized that one reading, I said, I'm going to try to to say this poem, you know, without without the paper and I did fine and it was great because I was able to really um you know just live in the moment of the poem and the words and and um not feel the crutch of the page you know and just connect with the audience and it was as intense for me as I had hoped that it was for other people sure. um because you know it it almost when you can break down that level of reading a poem and just communicating a poem and, and, and live and feeling a poem. It's, it's two different things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, th- as, as I've gone on with doing more and more readings, I've gotten better and more comfortable with speaking in front of people and just, um, really forgetting about everyone that's out there to an extent and just living, going back to that moment when you created that poem and that joy that you felt and that sort of intense creative space, and when you do that, you can really serve a poem by reading it how it's meant to be read, I think. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of reading, as we're using up this time with wonderful conversation, would love to have you read another poem. Sure. I'm going to switch gears totally. And um, the last poem in my book I'm going to read um, which is called The List. And I'm terrible at writing love poems. But um, as I started writing this poem, I didn't know what it was going to end up being. But this is my closest uh, thing to a love poem. We place our clothes on the mattress next to each other, laid out to keep from wrinkling, 
your dress shirt with the glitter attracting the cat hair and lint, that working class fallout that settles over everything. And I can't help but think how much our empty clothes resemble us, a little exhausted, rumpled with the compliance of any polycotton blend. At the end of the night, my hands are feeling for the dark of your hands, eyes closed to the extended weather forecast at 11. But what if I added light to this memory, poured it through sheer curtains, held on to it the way yellow does that empty coffee cup, lost and sparkling in dishwater, warm as my hands that rub the stains off of it, touch the door as I leave the edge of your thigh. What if that backyard mimosa rebounds, grows again next summer, fills the view of a two-lane road, becomes the wall again of green no one can see past? It's 1 a.m., and I keep looking out at the upstairs window where the trees behind our house keep sashaying like awkward teenagers or shampoo commercial models, luxuriant and ridiculous as if all they wanted was our attention. But they turn their backs to us, shake their chemically treated hair and a few thousand leaves for us to rake up every October. It is summer, a Friday, and we are sitting in a diner making a list on a ripped napkin on how to change our lives. You take an aching back, tuition, a mortgage and promises, Add to this a glass of wine, the scent of mimosa, the drive home with the window rolled down, my hand on your thigh, every part of yes, this is equal to. Beautiful. Thank you. And this book that you've referenced, tell people a little bit so they can know how to get this book. Sure. Um, the title is The Almost Sound of Snow Falling, and it was published by Night Valley Press. Um, and you can find it on Night Valley Press's website, which is uh, www.nightvalleypress.blogspot.com. And you can either look up my name or the title, The Almost Sound of Snow Falling. Mm-hmm. And also, for, for those who want to check me out on Facebook, I have an author page and they can just um, type in um, at, the symbol at, my name, in lowercase, Robert Wallachy Poet. Um, and if anyone wants to check out what I'm doing with my series, they can all, on Facebook, they can also uh, type in at getversified, one word, um, and uh, learn more about what I'm doing with, with that. Very cool. And shout out to Night Ballet Press, Diane Borsonick. Yeah. Wonderful oh, yeah, she's, she's great. And publisher. Yeah, yeah. Lots of good stuff going on in your Pittsburgh area. And, and I am so thrilled to learn about the things that you are doing, your own writing, as well as you're bringing other people together. You know, the, you Thank started you. out talking about how important community is and connecting and, and just that, that connects to me and why I so encourage people go out, go to poetry readings. When you're in Pittsburgh or planning a trip to Pittsburgh, look at the Litsburg 
website, that calendar of events. See what's going on. Go check out something. Go meet some of these people. And when you go to those events, buy the books. You know, I love that you suggested people go directly to Night Ballet Press to buy your book, The Almost Sound of Snow Falling. Because the closer we buy from the artist directly at the events from their small press when it's a small press publication, rather than going to the big A word online, more benefit, more support of those arts that are what are fueling us and in hard times and good times. Make us laugh, make us cry, make us know we're not alone. So, Bob, thank you so much. I am so glad that we got to do this episode of Talk With Me. Me too, and thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. You're welcome. Listeners, I know that you enjoy it as much as we do, so listen, listen for more, listen again. Thank you for joining us, listeners. And so long to it. Well, I think that's enough quiet. Daniel um, was, uh, the producer was paying attention to, there was a little place where there was a little drop out for a few seconds and he's gonna try to push that back together when the edit, so that little piece. Um, but this was a delightful show, seriously. Uh, it's- Oh, thank you so much. Well, thank you. I mean, it's it speaks about who you are and. You know, I will say, you know, I I never know that until I'm actually talking with people. Um, I know some things about them, but but it it warms my heart always to hear people that are really dedicated to to bringing other people up and bringing people together and having people really benefit from that community building. You know that, that that's that's what makes life rich for people. You know, and and it is. Along the way, that are like it's all about me, 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 me. It's like, yeah, well, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of there, there's there's so much here, um, but there's not a lot of people that are working at bringing everyone together and doing the hard work that it takes to put these rings on. I am yeah. taking a break because it is it is a lot, and um, I've just. I get emails from so many people that want to get into the series that, and I have to turn people away. And yeah. unfortunately I, you know, there's just, um, you know, you're not going to make everyone happy, but and I ex- explained to them, I said, what I'm trying to set out to do in this series is because a lot of series will repeat people year after year. And when I set out, I, I went about three or four years before I got to the point to where I had had everyone, that was sort of like major on and sort of I was moving on to some of the more marginalized voices and, you know, maybe repeating some people. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, why didn't you have me on again? Or I says, what I'm trying to do is I'm designing a series. I'm, it's, it's not about, and with a lot of these, these cases, it's, you know, there are a lot of friends that are supporting their friends and I get that, but I'm also creating, I'm trying to to create something here that is unique and mm-hmm. is different, and I'm putting a, bl- a a unique blend of people together, and it's not always going to be um, this same person year after year. And um, it, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of challenges. There's there's some ego at times, and and I've also you know got to the point where, as you as you had said in the interview, um, you may not like everyone's poetry, but there are people that I've had on you know that you know you're not gonna like everyone's poetry, but you know I support everyone's poetry. And I, you know, I want to have a reading for them because they have a following or they have an important thing to say. And that may not be a, a poem that I might like, but it's something that needs to be said. And it's mm-hmm. a voice that needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, uh, like this past year, I've I've done sort of kind of theme readings where I've had, um, uh, I had a trans identity reading where every one of the poets identified as, um, you know, as trans. And I invited um, PERSAD, which is a local organization that supports and counsels um, folks that are discerning and figuring out their identity. And it was Mm -hmm. such an amazing event and experience. And it brought tears to my eyes because this is exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to to give people a voice that may have felt that they may not have a voice. And it's, it's really a powerful thing. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One one thing that I do, and 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 I talk about it in part, hoping that other people will do it in their communities too. Um, September tenth is World Suicide Prevention Day, and in my work, what I know is that what true suicide prevention is about is it's about letting people experience feeling valued and belonging. And, and as I say, those there, there truly is research about what are the three things that lead to suicide deaths and feeling like a burden and, and believing that you don't belong. Those are, those are two of the three things. So I do, I host an event called Words Save Lives on World Suicide Prevention Day. And it started as poetry only, and then it became poetry and comedy and music and stories. And then this year it's expanding with drag performances as well. And each year in terms of the people at the mic, my, my goal is to get more and more visible and other diversity, you know, so that, that anybody could come and see somebody that they can identify with who's on the stage. And, and, and that, that highlighting of people whose experiences, you know, like, like having some trans, uh, a trans friend, a trans woman who's a musician and poet, you know, having, mm-hmm. having a kid who's, you know, 13 years old, but a, but a really talented spoken word poet already, having a Vietnam combat veteran friend who's a poet, you know, have just like this mix of things, having people, you know, different races and, and, and that, that kind of an event where it's not about everybody's work that they're sharing is about suicide. That's not the goal. The goal is to bring a whole bunch of different people together and have people feel that experience of, you know, connecting and, and knowing and fitting in when they don't always get that. And so, I, I I really appreciate and admire what you've been doing with your series. Um, it's, oh, well, thank, thank you. It's, it's, yeah. it's about, I think it's, it's about growth, you know, mm-hmm. and it's about healing and it's about growth too and community building, all those, all those good things. And, uh-huh. you know, we're, we're the stewards of this and that's why, you know, I feel it's, it's so very important. Whatever I do next, you know, it's going to, 
incorporate those values and I'm looking forward to the future, really. Oh, very cool. So you're taking a little break. Is that the way you see it with the series and then you'll be back? Or are you thinking that you don't know what will come next? I'm not sure what will come next. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like to do something really different. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but um, I know that um, there are a lot of people that are that are trying to incorporate or they are incorporating music with poetry, mixing mm-hmm. media, and maybe I was sort of thinking of doing doing that and, and yeah. kind of change, changing the, the, the whole um, poetic poetic experience or poetry reading into, into something multifaceted and um, bringing different talents together and yeah. um, you know, doing something like that. And I've had some poets that are also musicians and they have, yes. I think what's really powerful is when I had a, a poet who she has amazing singing voice and she also brought a guitar and she's an amazing poet. She did uh-huh. her reading and one of her poems had singing in it and uh-huh. it was like, people were so tuned into that um, yeah. because it, it just engaged a different part of their, um, you know, creative experience. Because even if we're not, if we're not poets or we're not writers or we're not artists, we're still having a creative experience when we go to a poetry reading. Uh-huh. And when you engage in that, when you, you know, it's really a, an incredible experience to, um, because sometimes what happens is as great as poetry can be, um, when you have three, four, five or more people reading their poems, there can be, there's a little bit of dryness there. Uh-huh. And um, we're trying, I'm, I'm trying to figure out ways to make it yeah. more engaging yeah. with the audience and, um, you know, make a more of, a, of an live experience. So Yeah, that's very cool. Our current poet laureate of Kansas is a jazz musician and poet. And he's always done things with where he performs with music and poetry. So it's like, this is so cool. He's, he's, it just makes me think of, of, in other ways about how, in this case, the, our poets laureate may not be the stuffy poets that people assume they would be, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. the light as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's great talking to you. It's great talking to you on on the podcast and after. And I'm thinking everything we're talking about could have been on the podcast, except we finally ran out of time. So we had to stop. (laughs) That happens. But thank you so much. And, you know, there may be a time, like you mentioned, you're working on a collection. There may be some some other thing that, you know, you think, oh, it'd be be cool to do this again, to see, you know, to have this podcast available, um, an updated one. So feel free, you know, I know it, it took us a while to, to have the schedule work smoothly. Um, and sorry about the confusion about the time zones today. When I saw your email, I was like, oh, I didn't mean to cause stress. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. it's okay. I'm so glad it worked out finally. Yeah, me too. Thank you so and, much. And, 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 and definitely I'll, uh, I'll be in touch again. Um, yeah. you know, uh, when I get this book out. <laughs> cool. And if there's somebody that you think, oh, this would be a great person, you know, I, I, I lose track of who's where. I know that I've that I've talked with several people from Pittsburgh and but still I always put the the feel, you know, that that reminder out. You know, if there's somebody you think would really like to and it would be a good um, addition to their repertoire to have a podcast too, you know, feel free to 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 send them my way. Because I, I especially love working with artists in terms of doing the show. So thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll put that, put some thought to that and, and, and let yeah. you know. 
Thanks. And so like, 